your Bibles with you this morning, and I hope you do. Please turn to Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4 this morning. We have been working as a church through the book of Luke. We began with this thought as Luke presents to us, I have written this book that you may know, that you may know. And we see that, that the gospel of Luke very clearly lays out for us that we are to know that Jesus Christ, this child born in Bethlehem, saves us from our sins. The one and only child, the perfect child. We also see that in Jesus Christ, that the way was prepared, that we may know that the way in John the Baptist was prepared for Jesus Christ. And we see in God's word that God prepares our lives to know him, to be loved by him, and to live out the truth of Jesus in our lives. Last week, we see that Jesus understands your temptations because he himself was tempted. Today, we will see that Jesus Christ is tempted for 40 days, goes back to his hometown and is rejected so that you and I may know that Jesus, because he was rejected, offers us redemption. His rejection offers you and I forgiveness. So if, you're, if you feel like, man, I've just had a really rough week this week, look at the life of Christ baptized. He hears his father from heaven in Luke 3. This is my son. Well, pleased. Holy Spirit descends on him like a dove, immediately tempted for 40 days. And then he goes to his hometown and we see that he is rejected. He is rejected. Reminds me of this story. Famed landscape artist Peter Hurd was commissioned by Lyndon B. Johnson, the president, if you were 36th president of our United States, to paint a picture of himself. This is no, not just any picture. This is before selfies. Um, this is actually when you had to sit down for hours and they would physically draw a picture of yourself. This was the picture to go up in the Oval Office in perpetuity, forever. And they spent hours on this. And this is a, a world-renowned artiste. And at the end of the drawing, the president looks at it and says, that is the ugliest painting I've ever seen. True story. And so the artist heard, really despite the president, goes back to Texas and goes to a small museum there and lets them put it in their museum. And on the opening night of of this picture, they had a record crowd. And even today, you can go to the Smithsonian and you can see this ugly picture that was rejected hanging in the Smithsonian. Now, why do I give you that picture to show that things that were once rejected can be redeemed? Something that was rejected by the leader of our nation is now for everyone to see. And in Jesus Christ, we have the man who is rejected by his nation that said, because of my rejection, I will offer you, I will offer pastors redemption from their sin. So let's read Luke chapter four, beginning in verse 16. It's a lengthy section. Just bear with me as we read through this and we will work back through that this morning. Luke chapter four, beginning in verse 16. So he, that's Jesus, came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. You can go ahead and circle that underline brought up. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and he stood up to read. And he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written, the spirit of the Lord was upon me 
because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, to recovery of sight to the blind, to set liberty to those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Then he closed the book, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And Luke tells us that the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. So all bore witness to him and marveled at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. Now put your finger there in that verse. We're halfway through that verse. The people have heard Jesus Christ speak. Their eyes are fixed upon him. They are marveling. And then verse 22, and they said, is this not Joseph's son? And he said to them, you will surely say this proverb to me, physician, heal yourself. Whatever you have heard done in Capernaum, do also here in your country. Then he said, Assuredly, I say to you, no prophet is accepted in his own country. But I tell you truly, many widows were in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the heaven was shut up for three years and six months, and there was a great famine throughout the land. But to none of them was Elijah sent except to Zarephath, in the region of Sidon, to a woman who was a widow, And the lepers were in Israel in the time of Elisha, the prophet. And none of them was cleansed except Naaman, the Syrian. So all those in the synagogue, when they heard these things, were filled with wrath. And they rose up and thrust him out of the city. They led him to the brow of the hill on which the city was built, and that they might throw him down over the cliff. Then passing through the midst of them, he went his way. Let's pray. Father, We thank you that you sent your son to be the spotless sacrifice for our sins. Lord, that he was pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our sin. Lord, the iniquity, the chastisement that brought us peace was upon him. Lord, by his wounds, we are healed. Lord, that your son was rejected by his hometown people that we might have abundant life. Father, mold us to look more like Jesus Christ. Move us. Lord, if there are obstacles and barriers in our life that cause us to say, is this Joseph's son? Lord, remove those in our life that we may run without hindrance for the sake of the gospel. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. And amen. Let's go back to Luke chapter 4, verse 16. Luke 4, 16. We see in the life of Christ that he was raised in Nazareth where he had been brought up as his custom was. Now, why would Luke tell us this, that Jesus was born, well, not born, but he was brought up in Nazareth? Because scriptures were predicting, prophesying that Jesus was going to be born in the house of bread. Right? Bet, house, lehem, bread, Beth, lehem. And as God's word prophesied, God's word came true. Jesus Christ was born in Bethlehem, but he was not raised there. He was raised in Nazareth. Why would God's word give us that nugget? Because God's word reminds you and I that our upbringing, it forms who we are. Our upbringing forms us. Now, before you say, well, pastor, you don't understand. I had a horrible childhood. We're gonna get there. There is still hope. 
but our upbringing forms us. What is, where was Nazareth, you ask? Well, this is exactly what God's people are asking. We even have one of the disciples. Philip is bringing his brother to Jesus and says, see the Messiah, the one who is from Nazareth. And you know the disciples' response? What good can come from Nazareth? That's his way of saying, where is that? Jesus grew up in a town that no one knew of. Some of you might have grown up in that town. Anyone grow up in a town that it just, it wasn't even on the map. Anyone? My roommate in college grew up in a county in Mississippi. They did not have a single traffic light in the entire county. If you, if you count a flashing red stoplight, that's all they had. I'm not going to mention the county. And you say, well, what good can come from those places? A lot of good in Jesus Christ. A lot of good. We get a glimpse of the formative years. And where Jesus grew up had a lot to do with shaping who he was as a man. So your years, your formative years form you and shape you. They say, well, pastor, how, how does that work out today? How do my years shape me? Some of us here today were raised in a house where you heard the gospel clearly lived out daily. Do you not know that that is rare? And so maybe you should just take time today and just pray and say, God, thank you for the way I was raised. Maybe you had a mom and dad who were committed to one another, that were married, who loved one another. And in that, God is showing you, this is what marriage looks like. This is what a relationship, godly relationship looks like. And I've had people come to me almost with sadness in their eyes and say, Pastor, I don't have this dramatic testimony. And my response is, thank God. Thank God. You know, well, I, well, I was just raised in church. What's wrong with that? Right? I, I heard the gospel daily. If that was you, take a moment and say, Lord, just thank you for forming me in a way from even early childhood that I knew I knew the gospel. I knew the good news of Jesus Christ. There is nothing wrong with that. Actually, that is to be praised. I hope that my kids can one day grow up and say, I was thankful for a house where my dad showed me daily what it looks like to pray. Where, where I went to a church where they didn't just do church, but the people knew what it meant to serve the Lord. Thank God for those houses. Now, some of you are thinking, I don't know what that house looks like. For you, I want you to know that even in those dark moments, maybe you were raised in a place where it was actually the church people that did more damage in your life than good, right? I've, I know people that they have been so burned by Christians, abused by men and women who call themselves Christians that take advantage of children or take advantage of other people, that it turned them away from Jesus Christ. Even in those dark moments, God is shaping you to know that he is your savior. He is shaping you to know you as your savior. And can you imagine living in Nazareth, growing up on the same street as Jesus Christ? Think about that. Some of you may know someone famous. You know, I didn't grow up near anyone famous. One, my claim to fame, I guess, is one time at Subway, Casey and I, we look back, I have a Mississippi State gear on. That's all I'm going to say about yesterday. And I look back and there's a famous Mississippi State baseball player. 
And so I shake his hand. I'm like, hey, you know, what's up? What's up are you getting today? I mean, what do you say? Um, but it was neat to say, look, I, I grew up idolizing you. I, we know the team that you play for in the major leagues. How neat was that just to say, I ate at the same subway as a famous baseball player. But can you imagine growing up on the same street as Jesus Christ? Think about that. Sometimes we forget that Jesus, he was a child. He was a very wise child, one that people marveled at. Telling, telling your parents, hey, dad, I'm gonna go, go play down the street. Well, whose house are you going to? Oh, Mary and Joseph. Well, who's their son? Oh, it's Jesus I mean, how awesome would that be? And in those moments in Nazareth, God was preparing Nazareth to, for this day where Jesus Christ would take Isaiah and say, in your hearing, this has been fulfilled. Your upbringing forms you for the gospel. It forms you. And some of you have been formed in a way where you know God. I mean, you, you grew up knowing God. Some of you grew up saying, I, if this is God, and this is what it looks like to be a Christian, I don't want it. And in both cases, God says, I sent my son to die on the cross for your sins. Our formation, our upbringing forms our life. So here's some questions that we have as we look at this text. As I was praying through this, what makes you likely in your life to follow Jesus? What makes you likely to follow Jesus? I was raised in church. I know church culture. I mean, that's just who I am. And so when I see organized religion, that, that's comfortable to me. That's comfortable. I, I, I get closer to God when I go to organized worship services. So for me, that's an easy way for me to seek God. But there are people that organize religion, turns them off because of the hurt that has been caused by some church somewhere. What are things in your life that God has put in your life, allowed in your life that draw you closer to the Lord or things that drive you away? We all have that, don't we? Things in our upbringing that make us say, Lord, I see you or Lord, I don't know. Lord, I have trust issues because of what went in my life. Lord, I don't know if I can trust you as heavenly father. Let's be honest. What is that question in your life? Because the reality is this. Everyone here has a similar upbringing and it's called sin. It's called sin. The godliest home and the the most devil-worshiping home. We both have sin. And the things that we do, the preferences that we have, the desires that we have are all distorted by sin. But our upbringing forms us. Our upbringing forms forms us. Not only that, look at verse 20. Jesus Christ growing up in Nazareth, living his life, goes to the synagogue as his custom was. And if you say, well, do I need to worship regularly? If you want to, if Jesus Christ is our example and you want to follow Jesus Christ, he worshiped regularly as his custom was. I'll just leave that there. But if you say, well, I want to follow Christ, then you have to worship regularly with a body of Christ locally. Jesus Christ did that. Verse 20, he closed the book. He gave it back to the attendant and he sat down. And the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him. And so we we really think at this point, man, God has put these people in Nazareth. 
that he is, God has prepared these people, their upbringing, our upbringing forms us. God has prepared them to hear this word, right? I mean, Jesus is growing up in Nazareth that they may see the Messiah, that when Jesus proclaims who he is, the people will accept. Verse 22, so all bore witness to him and they marveled. So this is going well. Jesus Christ takes Isaiah, opens it up, says, this is me. All eyes are fixed upon him. Everyone marveled. And then what? And the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth, and they said, isn't this, I mean, didn't we grow up near him? Isn't that the kid that my kids played with? Isn't this, what's the God's word say? Isn't this Joseph's son? He says he is from God the Father, but I thought he was, I thought this was his address, right? 316 Main Street, Nazareth. I, I thought this was, this was Jesus of Joseph and Mary. That's a way of saying, I don't really believe. And before we're too harsh on these people, you and I have those questions, don't we? But Lord, are, are you sure? But Lord, isn't this, I mean, Lord, why did you let this happen? But Lord, how can I be going through this? Lord, why? Here's the reality of the gospel. Not only does your upbringing form you, but your instincts fail you. Your instincts fail you. You say, well, how do you know that? Look at the instinct of the people, verse 22. They said, is this not Joseph's son? That was, their, that was their instinct. Wait, we know this guy. We know him. Is this not Joseph's son? Here's the warning that we have in the scriptures. Beware, familiarity, familiarity can lead to apathy, to lead to apathy. There are stories. I used to be in my former life at a seminary, used to teach at seminary. There are stories of people who go to seminary and get saved after they start seminary. Familiar with church, familiar with Jesus Christ. And yet it's not until they begin digging in deep into God's scripture that they realize, I don't need seminary, I need Jesus Christ, right? Seminary, I mean, the place where people get trained to do the work of the Lord. And because they're so familiar, they forget. I don't know Jesus. And I know there are similar stories here that we say, I grew up in church, but I was so close to church that I didn't realize why I was doing church. I didn't realize that Jesus Christ died for me. I knew it, I could regurgitate it, but I was so close that, that I just didn't see. What's the reality? Your instincts fail you. And one of the instincts that we have is, is this, that we are all good. That is not a biblical concept. Now that makes me feel happy, Pastor, man, what a good job. We use that language, don't we? How's your day going? Well, it's a good day because I'm a good person and my life is good. That is not biblical. The Bible actually says that we are by God's design. We were made perfect and holy to be in communion with him. But because of sin, our relationship is now eternally broken. We are depraved. There is nothing good in me. Maybe we should go this week and say, how was your week? There is nothing good except Jesus Christ. 
except Jesus Christ. Our instincts fail us. The instincts of those in Nazareth failed them. Why? They said, are you sure? Are you sure? Isn't this Joseph's son? We also see this here. Look at verse 20. Their eyes were fixed upon him. Everyone who was in the synagogue. God's word reminds us that just because God has your attention doesn't mean he has your affection. Just because God has your eyes doesn't mean he has your heart. Doesn't mean he has your heart. We say, well, you don't understand. You don't know who I am. I don't, but he does, right? That just because God has our attention now doesn't mean he has your heart tomorrow. That's not a God problem. That's a you problem. Because whether I seek him or not, he is still king of kings. Verse 20, all the eyes were fixed upon him and they did not seek him. Verse 22 reiterates this point. So all bore witness to him and they marveled at the gracious words. They marveled. This is a word is um, thalmaso, which means to wonder or be amazed or be impressed. So we can also be impressed with Jesus Christ. We can seek him. We can be impressed. I like this Jesus thing. You know, he, I don't want to go to hell. So I'm going to seek God. I, I, I know what I should be doing. We heard that testimony this morning in our men's Bible study. I don't want to go to hell. So I'm just going to run. I'm going to be impressed with Jesus. But just because you marvel doesn't mean he has your heart. Twice, twice the people did not, did not seek him. And then we see this. We need to recognize verse 22. They said, is this not Joseph's son? We need to recognize that our instincts fail us. Because here's the difficulty of being human, that we live in a broken world with broken instincts. We have a natural desire natural in a worldly sense, not natural God-given because our natural desires are now tainted. Our vision's blurry. Our heart's tainted by sin. You and I have a natural desire to be bandwagon fans. We see that in sports. We see that in worship services. We see that in every fact of our life, don't we? We are naturally drawn to things that are going well. We have teams in this state that have 10 times the number of fans they did four years ago, five years ago. My wife could tell you the day that Nick Saban left um, and came here. But how many bandwagon fans jump on when they see a winning team? And if we're honest, if there's room on that bandwagon, what are we going to do? Wait for me. Wait for me. But what's the struggle spiritually that we have no room in God's kingdom for bandwagon fans. And and the people in Nazareth were were that bandwagon fan, weren't they? We marvel, our eyes are fixed. Lord, this is a good thing. And yet in the back of their minds, is this not? Is this not? Your upbringing forms you. Your instincts fail you. Verse 22 So they bore witness to him. And this is so sad as we've repeated this over and over. They said, is this not Joseph's son? And Jesus didn't look at them and say, you know what? I know I haven't really started my ministry, so I'm gonna give you you a pass. 
It's okay. You don't, you don't get it, you hard-headed people. Look what Jesus says to them. Verse 23, he said, you will surely say this proverb to me. Now, how scary is that? That Jesus can look at you and say, Josh, you're about to say this to me. So God knows your heart. God knows our heart. And that can be a great thing or that can be a terrifying thing. If you knew my heart, like I know my heart, that's a scary proposition. And Jesus looks through and he says, whatever, this is what you will say to me. Physician, heal yourself. Whatever we have heard done in Capernaum, do also here in your country. Do also here in your country. So not only do your instincts fail you, but what sin does in our life, our fallen nature leads us to a place of rejection. Your fallen nature leads to a place of rejection. So doubting God to say, well, Lord, I don't know, it's to reject his call in your life. Now, can God change our hearts? Absolutely. But Jesus Christ speaks to them and says, you will say this to me, physician, heal yourself. And immediately our fallen nature always leads us to doubt. If you trust your instincts, it will always lead you to a place of doubt, always. And is this not what happened in Nazareth? Verse 22, wait, isn't this Joseph's son? I mean, this is a kid that playing basketball with or soccer with. This is the carpenter's son, right? That's a place of doubt. Why? Because our fallen nature causes us to default on the doubt side. So you say, well, I struggle with doubt. Absolutely, we all do because we are fallen people. And so we have to struggle in our spiritual maturity to say, Lord, help me not doubt. Lord, I doubt, so help me. You say, well, well, I'm not, I can't share Christ. It's just not natural. It's not natural because your natural desires are broken. So do it anyway, right? I mean, it's not natural for me to share Christ. Why? Because the world doesn't want us to share the hope that is within us. But the scriptures tell us what? Be ready to give account for the hope that is always within you. Our natural desires lead us to doubt. They lead us to doubt. And not only do they lead us to doubt, look at verse 23. Jesus looks at you and I, he looks at Nazareth and says, you will surely say this proverb, physician, heal yourself. And then this is what you'll say. Whatever we have heard done in Capernaum, do also here in our country. Now, here's what, here's what brokenness in our fallen nature does. It flips the script of what God really wants in our life. You know, it breaks our desires. It distorts our, our vision. We can't see without, without being cloudy anymore. But look at verse 18. I want to see this comparison. Our fallen nature leads us to rejection. Jesus says, verse 18, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he has anointed me to preach gospel to the poor and he has sent me. And here's what our fallen nature causes us to do. Look at verse 23 again. The people will say, whatever you have done in Capernaum, do also here. 
So instead of saying, Lord, you, 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 now the people are asking Jesus, Jesus, what can you do for me? That is the fallen person at its finest. That we forget to ask, Lord, it's about you. It's about you. It's about you. And we say, Lord, what can you do for me today? Father, I've heard about what you did in this person's life, Capernaum. So why don't you do that here? Lord, I saw three people win the lottery. They split that gigantic check. Lord, when am I going to get mines? And yet God reminds us that it's harder for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven than it is a camel through the eye of a needle. And by the way, without winning the lottery, because you live in America, we are the rich. We are the rich without the lottery. Lord, help us not be me people. And before you feel too guilty about yourself, this didn't just start here, 2016. We do live in a me generation, like selfies, you know, we have Instagram. One day you just, just go back and, and see all the pictures you've taken in the last year. Right? It's not just them, it's everyone. But we live in a me-centered world. And if we're not careful, we will teach our kids, watch out for yourself because no one else will. That's not biblical. What we should be saying is seek first the kingdom of God and everything else will be added unto you. That we will understand what it means to have plenty or have nothing, yet in everything, as Paul said, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. That's not a verse about I'm gonna conquer the world because I am strong. It is I will be content no matter what because he is my savior. Yet our fallen nature leads us into places of rejection. That's for those who are saved and those who are on the fence. Our fallen nature leads us into a place of rejection. But, but there's hope. I want you to listen to the words of Isaiah 51. Jesus actually reads Isaiah 61, but Isaiah 51 brings this out to us. That his rejection brings you and I redemption. He was despised and rejected by men a man of sorrows acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised. We did not esteem him. Surely he has borne our griefs. He has carried our sorrows. Yet we esteem him stricken, smitten by God, afflicted. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement that brought us peace was upon him. And by his stripes, we are healed. In Nazareth was not the only point in Jesus' life that he was rejected. It's not. This is the first of many times. And Jesus willfully went on the cross. And do you remember what Jesus said on the cross? Eloi, Eloi, lamak sabachthani, which is translated in English, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? My God, my God, why have you rejected me? I know why. We're why. 
I'm why. That because he was rejected, if we follow Christ as our Lord and Savior, you and I will find peace in him. That his rejection beginning in Nazareth and continuing today, because if we look in the mirror, we are looking at someone who has rejected Jesus Christ. And yet he looks at us and says, but Josh, I was rejected so that you don't have to reject me anymore. I was rejected on the cross. I died for you. And my death as a pleasing aroma to God was accepted. How do we know? Because in three days he rose again. The grave couldn't contain him for our sake. That in his rejection, you and I find redemption. And it began here in Nazareth. And what I want to, if you're from Nazareth and I doubt any of you are, I want to say this, in Christ, you get a second chance. You get a second chance. But they looked at Jesus and said, isn't this Joseph's son? And we say, it is, but he's so much more. He is the son of God who died for you. We find our redemption means he purchased us. He adopts us into a new family because of his righteousness, not ours. And maybe you're here today and, and you've struggled a long time that you just feel like you have been rejected over and over and over again. You feel like you've been going to prom every year and every year you get rejected by your prom date. And it's been one disaster after next. And you say, God, I don't even understand why. Lord, why does this happen? And our Savior looks at us and says, but Josh, I was also rejected. And I had my father turn my back on me, not because of anything I've done, but for your sake. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? His name is Josh. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me for you? And your upbringing, everything that has happened in your life until this day has prepared you to live a life that's worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Everything. Without Christ, our lives have no meaning. So maybe you grew up in church and you say, well, I just don't know. It's just so familiar. It's too familiar. He can break those chains of familiarity. But maybe you're here today and he said, I don't really like this church thing because I have been burned so many times in churches. The people who call themselves Christians are the ones who have hurt me the most. I just want to say for as a pastor, I'm sorry. Shame on them. But we can still find forgiveness in Jesus Christ. That today you might find in his rejection, your redemption and your forgiveness of sins. We're going to have a moment of invitation and maybe God's moved you in a way that you say, Lord, I'm just tired of rejecting. I'm tired of doubting. Lord, I, I know that my desires, my instincts fail me. Lord, I know the things that happened in my life till today. Father, they, are, they have moved me for this moment. Lord, use me. I'm gonna ask you in a moment as we um, play some music, that if God has moved you in that way, that you would have a moment of boldness and you would just come forward and say, I wanna tell this church, I wanna tell the world, that today he is my savior.
that today I, I quit saying, is this, is this the son of Joseph? And I say, today this is the son of God who died for my sins. Maybe you're here and you've been playing the church game for way too long. You're saved, but you've been content, hiding. And maybe God's moving in your heart in a way that God says, I don't want you to hide. I want you to serve. What are you waiting for? God has been working in your life for this day. Your upbringing forms you, your instincts fail you, but thank God our Savior died to save us. Let's pray. Father, what a wonderful Savior we serve. Lord, we serve a Savior where angels bow before you. Lord, we serve a Savior that even in the face of rejection, you willfully walked to the cross to again be rejected by your heavenly Father, that I, a sinner such as I, might find salvation. Lord, I pray if there's just one here today that has not confessed you, that they have not believed in their heart, that they have not said with their mouth and they have not, they have not responded with their life that you are King of kings and Lord of lords, that today will be that day. Father, I pray if there's someone here that you have moved in a way that they need to respond to you, Lord, if they need to come to the altar and just clear their hearts, to reset their life, to say, Lord, I, everything in my life has failed you, but my Savior. So Lord, give me strength. Father, I pray that you will give them boldness to respond. Lord, use us, redeem us, save us. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen and amen. I'll be down front to pray over you, to receive you at the Lord's call. We'll have counselors, but do not miss a chance to respond to God's word this morning.